This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, <sighs> smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash, hmm, you can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. Talk Recorded live. Hello, Hockey World. Today is Wednesday, June 8, 2016. I'm Michael Agello of HockeyBuzz.com, and I'm pleased to be joined once again by the former Assistant General Manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Mr. Bill Waters. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Michael. Uh, Bill, we are uh, in between Games 4 and 5 of the Stanley Cup Final, a little two-day hiatus as they move from San Jose to Pittsburgh. Uh, A little bit surprisingly, the Pittsburgh Penguins are up three games to one after a 3-1 victory. Uh, in San Jose on Monday. Um, Bill, overall, your thoughts on the series? Well, I think that it probably should be over based on territorial advantage, based on uh, the style of game that they've played on a consistent basis. I, I really think the Penguins should have taken this in four. Nobody expected them to, nor did I. But that's what you asked me. So, my thoughts on the series are that uh, I think the Penguins can win. Uh, I think that for a number of reasons, not the least of which is the way they've played the preceding four games. Mm. They play them all the same way. High intensity, high speed, high commitment to defense, high commitment to protecting your goalie. And they have four balanced lines that at times you say, oh, who's that, Cullen, Kuhnhockel, and Fair? What are they doing out there? I thought they were fourth-liners. They go with the best of them. They've, they've got – I don't know what their best line is. It's hard to figure, but from a point production standpoint, let's give it to Nick Bonino. And then they have another line that's centered by Crosby and another by Malkin and Matt Cullen. Matt Cullen fits in perfectly the top three centermen in the Pittsburgh performance of the playoff season. So you can put that Bonino line wherever you want it, uh, but Matt Cullen is as important to any of the uh, responsibilities that Penguins have, whether it be penalty killing, playmaking, uh, last minute of play. He's always got Matt Cullen out there. And that really is an ingredient that if you get lucky and get a guy that you can fit under your cap reasonably and perform at the level of Matt Cullen, you're doing well. Not not many 39-year-olds can skate like he can. I mean, it's like Mike nope. Gardner back in the day. You know, Bill, yep. I, I, picked, I picked Pittsburgh to win the series, but I picked it, I think, in six or seven games. And and I know I use this word to some of my colleagues, and they, they shrieked at the at the word of it, but I, I think that Pittsburgh has dominated San Jose. I mean, the scores yep. don't reflect it. I mean, you've had three one-goal games, two in overtime, and, la- and game four was the only one that was decided by more than one goal. But territorially and just, I, I think mean, psychologically, they've dominated the four games. Even uh, the, you know the games that the game that San Jose won, I thought you know that at best it was an even contest. And in games two and game four, San Jose didn't do anything in the first two periods and came back in the third with a desperate effort. So I, I don't know what if this is just the plan of the Penguins and their implementation of it, or if they're just a better team than the San Jose Sharks? 
Well, you are playing a game that I watched from the 1st of February when I was in Florida till the 6th of May when I left. And that game has not changed one iota throughout those three months and this month. They come out, they play the same way, Crosby wins the faceoff, they dump the puck in, and try to take over the offensive zone. That's just what they do. And they do it quickly. Uh, They do it with commitment to execution, which is to the coach's credit. Every one of them has a job to do, whether it's the layered shot blocking, whether it's the loose puck on the wall with one San Jose guy, and all of a sudden there's three Penguins in there. How can they do that? It's quickness. Because as quick as they can get there, they get back into position. And so you don't find holes like you normally would when you overcommit three guys to one position. And they're pretty sure that they're going to get the puck with three guys there. Uh, Their forecheck we've talked about, and it's pretty obvious that it's second to none. They're on that San Jose defense, which the, the experts thought would be one of the dominating features of the San Jose Sharks. It hasn't even been comparable to the Pittsburgh Penguins defense, whether it be Lovejoy, whether it be Schultz playing 10 or 12 minutes, uh, whether it's Dumoulin. uh, It's just a a group, uh, whether it's Cole coming up to score a goal but playing very well in the defensive zone. They've got six defensemen who know how to play together, and they've got Chris Letang who knows how to play above all else, above all others. And I admire how Latang has played, but I admire more how that defense has played as a group. I think everybody gave San Jose the advantage on defense based on the fact that Trevor Bailey was not going to be playing in the series. And, I mean, I, I, I did that as well. But looking back, going into the playoffs, I thought the defense of the Sharks was their Achilles heel. I mean, I, that's the reason I picked Los Angeles over them in the first round. You had Paul Martin... <coughs> an aging Paul Martin on their top pairing. I mean, Vlasic and Burns are really good defenders, but the depth on their defense and the, and the speed on their defense was, I thought, going to hurt them. They've gotten all, all the way to the Stanley Cup final, but I don't know how Pittsburgh's doing it, though. I mean, it's a no, this, is a, you know, this is a no-name defense. Other than Latang, you know, Lovejoy, Dumoulin, uh, you know, Olimata is a pretty good defenseman, but it, it's, yep. it's not big-name all-star defenseman. It's, you know, sort of not journeyman, but middle-of-the-road guys just filling a role. Well, they're, they're, I'll give you this, Mike. They're guys who, on previous teams, played as five, six, seven guys. They were the bottom pairing or uh, the first guy out. And they have found, in Pittsburgh, a place to play. Ian Cole played... Mm for the Penguins when he uh, came over from the trade last year. The beginning of this season, about 1st of November, maybe a little later, he was benched for 16 straight games. He wasn't very happy. He hasn't missed a game since. And Dumoulin's a kid. They're, they're, they're all college kids. And, and they're just maturing into very intelligent NHL defensemen. They don't get themselves in a lot of trouble. They follow the rules, whether... Uh, it's Jacques Martin's presence. I don't know. I don't think he's hurt them any. But that defense plays very knowledgeably, plays without a great deal of risk, and more importantly, moves the puck very quickly. And that's the, that's the key. To that Getting out of your own zone is not easy. 
if you get it out and it's moving, there's no chance for a turnover, and that's what's killing San Jose. The, the Penguins are getting on them, creating confusion in the uh, defensive zone slash offensive zone for Pittsburgh, and that's where they make hay, whether it's uh, the turnover inside the blue line or in, in the center zone. When they get it, they fly, and they fly when you're flying the other way. And it's just, I think the speed is so important, especially when you can commit all your skills at high speed. It's nice to be able to stick handle in a phone booth, but it's more important to be able to stick handle at full speed. It's nice to be able to shoot a puck standing flat. It's even more impressive when you can do it at full speed. And this team does a lot of things at full speed, and people are overwhelmed by them because they haven't seen a lot of it. Uh, if you'd watched the Penguins closely, you would have been very leery of the fact that Jim Rutherford told me in January. He said, Willie, this team can win the East. I said, well, Jimmy, that's good. That's good. And I felt that they could certainly compete with everybody in the East. And then as you watch them through February and March, this team can win the East. My best player is, uh, at this point is Chris Letang. I thought, oh. I watched him when the other coach was there. He wasn't very good, but he became their most important player from the standpoint of having to be on the ice the most. And whether he's more important than Crosby and Malkin is uh, debatable, but you must have a big defenseman who can lead and can inspire, and he does all of that. Their goaltender, we haven't even mentioned him. He's been unbelievable. And uh, when you say unbelievable, literally, at the age of 21, just turned 22. He has performed above and beyond the call of duty. Well, um, tomorrow night at the Consul Energy Center, the, the cup will be in the building, and obviously the Smythe Trophy will be in the building as well. And there has been some talk, especially in Toronto, uh, that the leading scorer for the Penguins during the playoffs, one Philip Kessel, um, <laughs> may be the winner of the Consumite Trophy. I mean, if you look down the, you know, who the, and the, you know, the candidates for the Penguins would be, obviously Crosby will be considered, Murray, as you mentioned, and Tang, as you mentioned. But Kessel has 10 goals, 21 points, has scored a lot of key goals. He had two assists in game four. Um, and I know that, you know, if that happens, I know that a number of media members inside and outside of Toronto will use that as criticism of the Maple Leafs for, making the Phil Kessel trade? I mean, first of all, do you think Kessel is deserving of the con smite if Pittsburgh wins uh, tomorrow night? Well, I do. But I do feel that the most impactful player in this playoff series, notwithstanding goals and assists, has been Sidney Crosby. I have never seen a superstar player work harder and be more physically involved than this guy has been. He mm-hmm. has done some damage. And that's something that's going to be considered when the vote is made. It's not going to be all goals and assists. I remember the year Philadelphia either won. They, he had the most points in the playoffs, Reggie Leach, but he didn't win the Conn Smythe. I think that was the year Hextel did. But anyway, I, I may be out of tune on that one. But I, I, Murray is quite capable of being the Conn Smythe winner as well. He's been there at every occasion. He's let a bad goal in, and that probably cost him a – a game in game three, but next game he comes back and he's just playing very much unlike a guy whose only games he has played of any note have been in the playoffs. 
and very inexperienced, but very calm and very good. So if either of those three make it, uh, that is, become the Conn Smythe Trophy winners, I think they're most worthy. And uh, if it's Kessel, don't blame anybody. Kessel had to go. Kessel's attitude in Toronto permeated that whole team. He and Phaneuf were the two guys they had to get rid of in order to rebuild. You couldn't build around that type of attitude. And in so doing, they gave Phil Kessel a chance to reestablish himself as a, I don't want to call him a world-class player because there's a lot of things missing. But based on how he's played this year in Pittsburgh, particularly the last half, he's getting close to it. He's got all the world-class skills. I'd like to see a world-class attitude, and I'm seeing more of that in Pittsburgh than I am in Toronto, which tells me that he enjoys playing in Pittsburgh much more than he did in Toronto. And Toronto wasn't an easy place to play. I mean, the, the Brian Burke Mafia took over that team, and they, they were running it in a fashion that may or may not uh, have become successful, but wasn't. And Kessel did what he wanted. His coach, Randy Carlisle, let him. And his president at the time chimed in. So I, I, I don't blame Kessel. All I know is that I give credit to, uh, to Brendan Shanahan and Mike uh, Babcock for getting Phil Kessel moved because uh, when that was done, that said to me as a Leaf fan many years ago that they meant business about the rebuild because until and when Kessel and Phaneuf got out of there, there was no sense of pretending you were going to build on anything because you were in swamp water. I mean, if, if, Phil, if they hadn't traded, I mean, I, I agree with your point. Phil Kessel, moving him last July 1st was the first real move of the rebuild. It signaled yep. that it was going to happen. It was, it was imperative. Did they get the best value that they could? Probably not, but they, they got rid of 85% of $8 million, the $8 million mistake that Dave Nonis, uh, you know signed him to. They, they got themselves a, a, a first, a third-round pick, a couple prospects, and, you know, they, and I think they started down the road that they needed to. And you have to remember, if they would have kept Phil Kessel, you wouldn't be drafting Austin Matthews in two weeks because this team probably would have finished 23rd, 22nd in the league, and their odds yeah. of winning the lottery would have been 5% or 6%. So it was imperative that they moved. And even if he wins the Conn Smythe and wins the Stanley Cup next year, I, I, I say that the, that the Leafs still benefit from moving Kessel last year. Well, they, they had no choice. They were either going to rebuild or they're going to fake their way through life for the rest of Kessel's contract. Kessel had no respect for anyone. He never played for Mike Babcock. That might have been a different set of circumstances. But I, I think Babcock came to the conclusion and uh, was all, all for getting, getting him out of town so that they could start rebuilding a team on a firm foundation. And that's what they've done. They've got a long way to go. But Phil Kessel, as we all knew, was a very talented player. You had to find the right mix and the right supervision. And Mike Sullivan is the right supervision. Yeah, and he's also and he's also benefiting from the fact that Crosby and Malkin are there and the spotlight is not on yep. him in terms of being the being dependable, being a core player. He's a support player. He's a great support player. But that's all I think he's ever wanted to be or be or to, is comfortable as being. So that's all he's ever aspired to be. He's the classic guy that I knew many years ago when 
clients of mine would score 35, and I'd say, you had a great year. I said, you, you know, you just you work a little harder, get yourself in better condition. And I said, you get up to 40. Nah, I don't want to get it to 40. Then they'll want 50. And <laughs> that's not the way to look at it. It's not the thing to say. But Phil Kessel never said or did anything appropriately. He just did it his way. And Phil is Phil. I don't think there's anything bad about him. I just think you have to make sure you know what you got and don't put him in a position of responsibility. Don't make him an assistant captain. Don't make him a captain. Don't make him as the only player that scores goals. Just let him sneak up on you and wire one in the top corner. I, I, uh, with his shot, his pass, and his skate, he can be a good player for the Pittsburgh Penguins for the rest of his career. Okay, uh, Bill, a couple league uh, situations here. Um, the Board of Governors or meeting in New York City. Uh, the main topic is expansion. It, it has been filtering out over the last few days that it sounds like a fait accompli that Las Vegas is going to uh, get the uh, expansion franchise or be awarded an expansion franchise probably uh, around the time of the NHL awards in Las Vegas before the NHL draft in a couple weeks. Um, it's, it sounds like Quebec is going to be told to, you know, cool their jets and, and wait, wait things out. There's a situation going on in Carolina right now that I want to get your, uh, your input on. But what do you think of the decision to go to Vegas? Well, first of all, uh, Mr. Foley has a lot of money. So has his partners. $500 million is the drop in the bucket. And so I, I think it's a good choice. He can finance it. Uh, he'll obviously do it the right way. It's a significant investment. Uh, Quebec, I think, are going to wait until the dollar, Canadian dollar, gains strength. I don't know how they're going to pick their timing on that, or are they going to hedge their $500 million by buying uh, U.S. dollars at a time that they can convert it to 500 instead of 700 And $700 million is an onerous debt. And no matter how you look at it, it's a debt. It's an investment, and you've got to make money on that $700 million investment. And in Quebec or anywhere else, unless it's Toronto or New York or one of the big cities, you can't, uh, you, you can't make money on a $700 million debt. That's a very onerous uh, responsibility and is difficult to get a half-decent return on your money. I would like to think that uh, the franchises may or may not have maximized, but they've certainly uh, gone up a lot since uh, Minnesota paid $80 million for theirs, and all of a sudden Las Vegas is paying $500 million for theirs. I mean, Bettman's getting away with murder. On the other hand, he's, he's getting it. And the reason that Quebec isn't ready, and it's much more ready than, than, than Vegas is, it's got a captive audience, it's got a brand-new building, and it's got very wealthy owners. But they're wealthy owners because they have invested shrewdly and wisely, and their evaluation of a $700 million investment for a hockey team is financial suicide. And that's why Quebec is on the back burner, as I see it. Carolina, I don't know where that's going. Uh, I, I know Peter Carmanis personally. I feel badly for the family situation, but... Ever since Peter's partner, whose name eludes me, passed away two or three years ago, Peter has been trying to find uh, money to help him uh, 
uh, with his investment. And keep in money, uh, keep in mind, Peter bought the Hartford Whalers for thirty three oh million dollars. So if he sells it tomorrow, he's going to get four and change. So don't cry for Argentina. <laughs> well, I mean, and, and again, there, there's a, you don't know what what rumors are true and what rumors are not. There is that hundred million dollar lawsuit between him and his children regarding tapping the trust fund. There was a report that came out a couple of days ago regarding a $300 million debt to the NHL. I, I'm not sure if, that's, if that you know, holds water or if that's just you know, a, a, a fake or a, a phony story, but it's out there. And the, how quiet the Quebec ownership has been regarding expansion, it's very similar, Bill, to the way it was when you know, all of a sudden Atlanta picked up stakes and moved to Winnipeg. You had a billion-dollar owner, um, in in Winnipeg, who was who had a building ready, you know the the, the the comparisons are similar, and I think that what may be going on here is that Batman is holding Quebec City in reserve in case things get bad in a place like Carolina, where he can just move that team into Quebec. Do you, do you think that's a plausible scenario? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Because uh, first of all, they're not going to have to pay five hundred million for it. Uh, for the Carolina franchise, and yet it's going to be a much better hockey team than the expansion franchise will be. So it would make a lot of sense to, A, if, if in fact Peter Carmonis is in trouble, and I use the term trouble, trouble relatively, uh, mm-hmm. if he needs money, and he doesn't want out, I know that. That's why he's hung on. He wants to stay. He likes the thrill of the business. And mm-hmm. if, in fact, Quebec can buy a franchise at substantially less than they'd have to pay for an expansion franchise. Well, they save that on uh, on the exchange. I mean, it's a it's a twenty nine cent dollar here now. In other words, for every dollar you buy, uh, every Canadian dollar you use, and you uh, you exchange it for a U.S. dollar, you have to pay a dollar thirty in Canadian funds. And so uh, it's thirty cents on 500 or pardon me it's 30 dollars on 500 million it's uh 150 pardon me i don't want to get too into too much into the math where i would 30 percent of uh, five it is 150 million on top of the 500 so it's 650 if it were if in fact a 400 million purchase it would be 120 in exchange and the total price would be 520 that's more like what they've budgeted for. They've budgeted for a $500 million uh, purchase. And I don't know. You know that Bettman knows the best way around this. And so if he did that, if in fact he moved Carolina to Quebec and put Las Vegas in, his next challenge will be getting a team in Seattle. And I still cannot get Markham out of my mind. I think there's going to be two teams in Toronto when all of this juggling is finished. Yeah, I'm, I'm, as you know, as a, somebody who's obviously been a Leaf observer for most of my life, I, I I really don't want to see a second team in Toronto. But I think the chances, in in an odd way, the chances I think are greater now that Toronto is is going through a rebuild. They're going to get Matthews. They may get Steven Stamkos. They'll be clearly. Uh, in Toronto, even if there is a second team, you know, the the one who will garner most of the attention. I mean, I think that a, a second team can be financially successful, but I think that, 
you know, the Leafs with the direction that they're going would, you know, the, whatever, whatever second team comes in Toronto, I think would basically take a back page to them. Um, do you think that's a, a consideration or do you think that that's just, that goes without saying? Well, I, I think he, he, he wants to find out. Bettman has to have a building, first of all. Sure. So there's no rush. But there's going to come a time when he has to play his hand, too, and say, look, here's the situation. Uh, if you guys are close enough to putting a shovel in the ground for the building, the two-year build, we're going to have to make a move with Franchise X at the end of this season, and we can sell it to Markham. And the only understanding will be that Markham will play in the West Division for five years with a travel subsidy or something like that. I mean, I'm getting carried away here. Because Bettman's ultimate goal is to have 32 teams. So he has 16 in each division, eight in each conference. Mm -hmm. And that's what he wants to retire with. That'll be his legacy, in addition to beating up on the players at every collective bargaining agreement. (laughs) So you you would have – I just can't see – there not being two teams in Toronto and there being teams like Phoenix, like Carolina, like Florida, like St. Louis. And St. Louis is is a fringe on that, but that they don't charge enough for the ticket money to make a half-decent buck on this deal. And right. they've got a big investment. So I don't think St. Louis is a likely candidate, but their ownership maybe get, get tired of losing money and go to Quebec and make the quick sale, just like Atlanta did with Winnipeg. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that Seattle is Seattle is is something that tantalizes the NHL. I mean, it, but you know, I've heard enough about the the building situation out there that the NBA is going to have to be part of that. And you know, in a sense, if that's the case, then the NHL will be taking a backseat to the NBA as the primary tenant because uh, there's a history about basketball in Seattle. You know, and I've heard yeah. Portland or Houston or a few other places out west. I mean, I think ideally he wants to. If it's 32 teams, he wants Vegas and he wants another team out west, and then maybe he moves another team to Quebec. That's why I, I keep saying to myself, I don't think the second team in Toronto is going to happen. But yeah, who am I? <laughs> so well, there may you know the the sources to move teams and the sources to buy teams may dry up, and there yeah. they have sitting in Markham an opportunity, and that will be when Batman goes into action as surreptitiously as you can and without great fanfare. Pretty hard to do in Toronto, but you'll yeah. give it a whiz just to see if there's enough there to say, okay, special conditions, but here's what I can do for you. Finally, Bill, the three names, I'll mention three names who have, you know, one has been in the rumor mill for over a year, well, maybe for most of his career, but three names that I'm sure we're bound to hear mentioned in the next few weeks leading up to July 1st. Um, first, Evgeny Malkin, uh, there's been some rumor, uh, Nick Chaprios from Sportsnet has mentioned a couple times that there's some speculation out there that this will be Malkin's last, you know, tomorrow could be his last game in Pittsburgh, that there's going to be a concerted effort to trade him before next season. Um, I don't know if you've heard anything about that, but this has been a rumor, it's been you know, circulated for a number of years. I actually give it a little more plausibility with the with the with the talk that now Mario Lemieux and his uh, ownership partner pulled the team off the market. You know, they 
they were likely going to keep Malkin if they were going to sell the team because he's an asset, but now if they're going to keep it, maybe they're more willing to move him. What have you heard, and what do you think of that potential scenario? Well, I've heard the rumors based on Malkin's play, and uh, you know, whenever you, a superstar plays like he has, uh, he, he must he must have an injury because he's he's a gifted player that can control the game when he wants to, and he hasn't done that not once. Maybe in game two he got a goal and assist, but that's not Malkin. Earlier on, when he got four points against the Rangers, you thought maybe he was going to come, but he he hasn't. He's done what he's told. And he's worked hard, and that's that's what Sullivan has pointed out. I can tell you this: knowing uh, the general manager as I do, Jim Rutherford will not initiate trade talks on Evgeny Malkin unless Evgeny Malkin and his agent request it. He's a Penguin. They've won one cup with him. In fact, he won Game Seven of that series by by himself. Uh, and I just don't think it makes any sense for the uh, Penguins to have to flog Evgeny Malkin on the open market. Now, if, in fact, Evgeny Malkin comes to the Pittsburgh Penguins and said, hey, you know, i got four years left, I'd like to play my last four years on my own, see what I can do as an individual contractor, and would you be kind enough to trade me to one of the following five teams? That I can see happening, but I can't. If, if Malkin wants to stay, he's staying. They're not going to cheapen Malkin, nor their team, nor their style, by prostituting of Jenny Malkin as a hockey player who can help your team. Jenny Malkin knows how good he can be. If he wants to stay in Pittsburgh, he's staying in Pittsburgh. They he made a commitment to them with a long-term contract. They're going to keep that commitment. And Rutherford will only talk trade if, in fact, it's formally requested by the Malkin side. Uh, second, the uh, the loony bin that is the Montreal Canadiens, so they decide to keep Michelle Therrien as the head coach after a terrible year. But as I think justifiably, you know, that he didn't get, you know, he isn't fully responsible for their downfall because of Carey Price's injury. Um, they bring in Kirk Muller as the associate coach, which to me signals that he's the heir apparent if uh, Tarion has a bad start of next season. But overriding all that is T.K. Subban. He's got that contract at $9 million per. He's the highest paid defenseman in the NHL. And the no-move clause on that contract kicks in on July 1, and his name has been out there. Now, Bill, I haven't heard anything specific. I haven't heard anything more than rumor. There's been Something about you know the Edmonton Oilers as a possibility since they're looking to improve their defense and they have all those young forwards, uh, you know Dallas or a couple other teams. I, I think obviously, obviously I think Subban is movable. The question is, he's the, probably the most popular player in Montreal. Will Mark Bergevin pull the trigger? Well, I think he'd like to. Have you ever tried to trade seven years of P.K. Subban at nine a copy? Not too many people want that deal. That deal was sitting at five a copy, and that would have been more comfortable. It would have been sufficient pay for a guy like Subban. But the ownership stepped in. They wanted to do what they thought was right, and Bergevin doesn't have to take responsibility for one of the worst signings in the history of hockey. So I, the, the only way they're going to get that deal 
is if they get if Montreal pays three of it. Because you're not gonna he's not a seven million dollar defense and he's not a Drew Doughty. He's not he he's he is what he is. And and uh, he's very skilled. Uh he is not the most popular player in the dressing room. In fact I would suggest it's diametrically opposite. And so if Bergevin knows the feel of his club as I'm sure he does, he's working very hard to trade him as we as we speak. And I would say that if he doesn't, it'll become a matter of dollars as opposed to whether or not you think he can help your team. Uh, it, it's, a, it, it's a bad mix, and the money thrown in as extravagantly as it was has made it a catastrophe. Well, as the, as the Kessel and the Finuff deals have proved, I mean, you can move a big, a big money player um, who does have some abilities, and we know that Subban does have abilities. I, I think if they don't take a haircut off the contract like the Leafs did with Kessel, they take back salary in the deal like the Leafs did with Phaneuf. So I, I think he's movable, and if the, the internal strife in the locker room is that bad, then I think you know Bergevin has to act before July 1st. Um, the last player, obviously I referred to uh, somebody who's been talked about for many a year, and that's Steven Stamkos. It's getting closer to that July 1st date. Um, Bill, just give me – I'm interpreting what's been circulated in the press the last couple weeks as more evidence that he's going to be going on July 1st because, you know, we heard that $8.5 million contract offer during the season. Both sides really, you know, Newport Sports and the ownership of the Lightning and uh, Steve Eisenman didn't really bite on that. In the, in the last couple of weeks, after Tampa gets eliminated, Stamkos comes out in his end-of-the-year press conference and says, every right thing. I love the city. This team is going to be great. I'm looking forward. I you know, love the fans. You know, no negatives. Tampa Bay, Eisen comes out and says, we want him to come back. We're negotiating. I mean, it's all right now it seems to me more a battle of public relations than it is a contract negotiation. What do you think? Yeah, everybody wants to say the right thing. I, I, I really have no idea other than I hear a lot of stories that Stamkos does not want to come to Toronto. If, if only, if only for the time that he's going to have to spend uh, as a player who will be their top player, and not experience playoff success. And he doesn't want that. So he wants some help. Now, you know, with the addition of Austin Matthews and watching him as I have, this kid is going to make a contribution. And I I don't know if that excuse is real. And so the only hesitancy I would have as an executive of an NHL team would be, the preclusion of any clotting episode, any clotting issue on his disability insurance. And if that, in fact, happens, you're stuck with a seven-year deal at $10.5 million, $75 million. And there's only one team in hockey that can swallow that without taking a glass of water, and that's the Toronto Maple Leafs. So it may work to the Maple Leafs... Uh, favor if in fact the negotiations are such that the teams that are interested if any in giving him a seven year deal now 
are only the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, I, I believe it was Bob McKenzie that reported yesterday that, you know, obviously if, it, if he stays in Tampa that the offer would be the eight-year max deal and maybe they would increase the amount uh, closer to $9 million. If the Leafs paid 10 or 10 and a half over seven years, that would be the same amount of money as an yep. eight-year deal, so the same amount of security. I, I just think that the, you know, the, this, this fallacy that, you know, he doesn't want to throw away his, you know, main competitive years, his prime in Toronto because they'll be, be rebuilding. I mean, I don't think the Leafs are going to make the playoffs next year, Bill, but I think Austin Matthews advances the ball, and if they go out with a very friendly market in terms of trading for a goaltender because of expansion, they could get themselves their number one goaltender this summer and maybe even compete for a playoff spot this year. So I don't think it's a four- or five-year rebuild anymore. I think it's maybe a two- or three-year rebuild now. No, and you know what, Mike? I, I, I think a rebuild is when you are capable of winning the first round in the playoffs. That's the big. That's the bridge over troubled waters. When you can do that, then you can go all the way. And uh, you may not win because you're not don't have the depth, but you have the ability to win the first round. That's the most difficult round, and that is three to four years away in my estimation. Mm-hmm. And who knows? You, you may be a year later. May be the answer. I'm just giving you my opinion as sure. opposed to yours, and neither one of us will know uh, who. A guest, right? And it's a guess uh, until the time comes. But I, I, I don't see Stephen Stamkos uh, putting up with three years, and it won't be futility. It should be exciting from a standpoint of the fans. It may not be exciting from the standpoint of Stephen Stamkos. And when he looks at the team that he has in Tampa, and with their goaltending, and the only thing they can do with their goaltending is trade to get better players. But they can't take many better players. They're, they're, they're stretched now. They have to add or double. No, not double. They're going to have to add $2 million at least to Stamkos, $5 million, uh, or $4 million to Hedman. Kusharov is going to get a double. They've got a lot of, of, uh, of salary that's going to be eaten up and not be able to uh, stay under the cap. So that's a concern. I don't think they want to give away Stamkos, but on the other hand, they do want to be able to uh, play under the cap. Yeah, Tampa's in in deep financial straits when it comes to their contracts. I mean, if if they take even if they take the bridge with Kucherov, it's going to be probably a three million dollar deal, and he's making less than a million now. But I, I think yeah. they're going to want to get him locked up for, you know, get him locked up to that six year deal and get a bargain yeah. on that contract like the Leafs did with. Padre and uh, and and Riley, so yeah, yep. Eisman's no, got a it's, lot it's, of work. That's that's the smart, and he's got a lot of juggling to do. I don't, I, I don't know about Stamkos. I, I know that Alexander Ovechkin is extraordinarily overpaid. Hmm. I know that Kane and Tate are overpaid. They're not overpaid when you win the Stanley Cup but they're overpaid when you lose in the first round. So there's a lesson there for everybody. I don't think that the offer that Eiserman made is too far off what Stamkos is worth. 
that doesn't mean that he isn't entitled to become a free agent and get as much. If that's all, if that's what he wants is to be the highest paid free agent. But he, he should look at the team he's on and the potential that they have over the next five years. He could coast through those five years, score 40 or 50, maybe win a Stanley Cup or two. Who knows? Uh, but anywhere else, he takes his chances. Mm-hmm. Well, Bill, I appreciate uh, you coming on once again, and we'll definitely want to have you before the uh, well, either before July 1st, before all the action starts, or a little after, just so we can analyze what happens. Uh, obviously, until Stamkos either signs back with Tampa or signs with Toronto or Detroit or wherever, that's going to be an overriding story. But uh, there, I'm sure there'll be a lot of other stories. But thank you once again for being for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. I think the draft is going to be a story unto itself, but uh, certainly the free agency. It's it's going to be an interesting June, uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'll look forward to sharing it with you. Uh, For Bill Waters, this is Michael Angelo. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again real soon. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.